This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all blow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're doomed. On our show tonight, Howling Under the Full Moon, we will explore Charles Band's Empire Full Moon Entertainment. We've got trancers, sci-fi epics, and vampires all in one place. When you need a break from reality, let our host show you through the madhouse of killer bombs, psychopathic cookies, and maniacal puppets. Don't be a squid and join us in the fun. Let me look at the world from a new angle. I was there when the website first went online. What is that? Technology has reached a point where bully teenagers get skewed or angst-ridden gut from the to see. All that hatred. folks welcome again to cinema degenerations howling at the full moon we are reviewing a 2001 release this evening we are doing danny draven's 2001 horror vision but uh joining me this evening i'm gonna get ahead of myself uh all the way from florida my co-host and cohort in crime dustin hubbard how you doing tonight dustin Hey, hey, I'm fantastic. Happy to be back, as always, to talk full moon, my life. <laughs> Do you find <laughs> it ironic that we're using 
Skype and cell phones or a, a laptop and everything and all types of do, doohickeys and gizmos to talk about something like horror vision that is a, all about <laughs> old, very obsolete technology. We're you yeah, we're using modern day cutting edge technology to discuss a movie that was about then modern age cutting edge technology that is morbidly out of date and almost unrecognizable by today's standards. <laughs> As we were talking before the show, before we started recording, we were just like, what were some of those items? It's like, you know, I, I get uh, some of the archaic webcams and old clunky looking cell phones and whatnot and you know obviously just obese sized desktops and whatnot but like yeah. some of the things like that handheld device that he had i didn't understand and, and like and like you were saying his watch towards the end was it an apple watch or what kind of watch was that i mean <laughs> it, it, did it exist for longer than a year i don't know yeah like was it a regular just like wristwatch like it couldn't have had like more advanced technology in it for that time. I don't think, <laughs> but I don't because know. Because were, there were no such things as internet capable watches back then in 2000. Yeah. At least I don't believe there were. No. Cause I mean, <laughs> the de devices like that, I don't think were that advanced. I mean, I remember being in Connecticut on a film shoot, like maybe like oh nine or something and you couldn't even send a picture text yet over your phone so like because i remember one of the crew members was a big techie and he's they kept bragging about how great his phone was over mine and i'm like oh well can you send me a picture of that sh you know what we did earlier and he's like well i can't do that that update doesn't come out for another three months <laughs> oh. and now now okay. you wouldn't even think of like even considering a phone that that, that, yeah. that there's a phone out there that can't send pictures. That's yeah, now I now I live in a world where I shot a mail-in cameo for a movie on my phone and sent the video over the phone. <laughs> so, <laughs> Horror Vision, or I just call it AKA Horror Matrix. Uh, it is essentially a horror movie version of the sci-fi epic, uh, the, the Matrix. Uh, we'll get into it all the way down to the references to Neo a Morpheus type character that we have that wears a black trench coat and it's and it's all very matrixy all the way down to a scene where we have the the green numbers dropping in very matrix mode but <laughs> it's it's a movie that that holds a special spot in my heart because I got it from Brink Stevens herself at uh, a film shoot that we were on years and years ago so it's a very old it's the lunar edition copy the same one that you said you were watching but it's autographed, so it's on my autograph shelf. So even though it may not be the world's best full moon film, it still holds a special spot in my heart. Not but the it, best. Certainly nowhere near the worst. So. No, 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 no. We'll save that for Transfer 6. That, that spot <laughs> is forever re re reserved. Transfer 6, I'm looking at you. Yeesh. But let's get into the, the, the good stuff about this film. We got is one of the earlier efforts directed by Danny Draven. This was towards the beginning of the, the Danny Draven years, uh, written by Scott Phillips and uh, co-written by J.R. Bookwalter and co-produced through uh, Tempe Entertainment. And if you're a shot on video or a low budget fan and you don't know Tempe Entertainment, you need to get out there and search out some of their stuff. Uh, J.R. Bookwalter's stuff is where it's at. But it pretty much uh, opens up with our our, our Des character, the uh, 
who pretty much is, uh, he's played by Len Cordova. And he's pretty much an, an instant perv. Uh, I mean, right from the get-go, you know he's a perv running a X website. And uh, was it called Cyberpunk Studios? And uh, with his... Which is ironically uh, Danny Draven's company, I believe. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. But he's 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 trying to be kind of pervy. He's got one of his cohorts in crime, uh, Brink Stevens, playing uh, the character Tony. And, you know, it's just wonderful knowing, you know, back then that Brink was like the epitome of like the cyberpunkish kind of girl. But she's just like rattling off all this like stuff about this ancient technology and got this horribly just i call it an obscene monitor because it's so big it's bigger than like any computer that's out there today desktop and anything uh, combined but you know she's running her triple x website and and talking about obsolete technology from 2001 and looking forward here to 2020 it's just kind of it's just kind of funny when you look at some of these old graphics and some of the the digital work especially that very what would you call it a very lawnmower man-esque uh credit scene at the beginning yeah they were it was like they're yeah trying to really use that kind of like virtual reality style animation they they were working with what they had in 2001 and this was you know the the top of the line graphics and, and technology but just kind of looking at it now it's like Oh, now our phones are even more powerful than any laptops or any home computers that, you know, were out back then. It's just uh, insane how the the technology advances, especially when you think of a movie that was still made in the 2000s. Yeah, very. But uh, very <clears throat> at the beginning, we kind of get uh, a little bit of an intro with Des. He's holding a business meeting with his friend, Tony. And they're, you know, talking business about their triple X website and getting girls to take pictures. And he's being very kind of pervy, very creepy, uh, trying to get uh, convinced Brink that she needs to be taking these pictures, too. And she basically tells him, you know, my grandmother always said, wish in one hand, shit in the other and see what gets fuller first, which makes me laugh because that's something my grandfather <laughs> always used to say. My mother says that to this very day. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that uh, <laughs> saying, you know, that's why it's a saying. But uh, we don't get much into it. I mean, uh, Des is very, he's hes very creepy. He's kind of what I call him. He's a poor man's Trent Reznor. He kind of looks like Trent Reznor if he wasn't as buff. And, you know, he's a, he's a tech guy. He's a cross between Trent Reznor and Keanu Reeves in The Matrix, who... Who is creepy and likes to be given head while he's like doing his business meetings just randomly he's so nonchalant about it like all of a sudden his girlfriend just reaches up in the frame and waves at brink while they're you know she's obviously giving her boyfriend head at the time very just it was a very 80s move for a very 2000s film it felt just like a very such a very just sort of like crude <laughs> uh asshole kind of like give no fucks about anything kind of like character trait to me because i remember thinking like good god what? but i mean he's contacting her about getting her her you know dirty content to sell so i guess she wouldn't really be someone he'd offend to you know video call uh while getting a bj yeah you know i guess he just kind of figured it is no big deal to mid coitus just oh wait i got this business call i gotta make 
Yeah, it was a yeah. very, very sleazy intro, but you know, it's a very kind of sleazy, dirty film. Yep. But we don't get very much Brink. Uh, spoiler alert: uh, Brink succumbs to a fateful ad slash email that she gets from the horror vision and there's this rapid fire picture collage and i made a note that i actually <laughs> framed and slope like framed it bit by bit um amber there's newman i'm gonna say there's a lot of actresses there <laughs> yeah, uh, brink is even in a couple of them herself so she's seen pictures of herself uh linnea quickly is, is in there as well amber newman and i know there's a couple others but i feel like wasn't julie strain in there as well i think so i think yeah. i saw julie in there and as a well. bunch of and a bunch of other like for the time popular sort of like fetish models who i am not familiar with by name <laughs> so, neither am yeah. i like i recognized I I, a few of them but i didn't recognize I, them by name I have heard that I believe Amber Newman at one time actually used to be the receptionist at Full Moon. So, really, yeah, so that might have been an end for her as far as because she ended up. Amber Newman did end up actually acting in loads of the seduction cinema content later on. Yeah, I remember her being in a bunch of that seduction cinema stuff, but uh, I didn't know that she had had you know worked the. Interning kind of for full moon, but that's interesting. That would explain why they got so many of her pictures in there. Greg Kinnear, I believe, used to also be a counter jockey at full moon in the nineties. Really? <laughs> if I ever I was, was Greg I, I think it was. I think it was Greg Kinnear. Yeah. If, if that's the case, if I ever met the man, I'd have to ask him about that. Listen, I don't care about all the other shit you've done. I want to know about your counter jocking days at full moon. <laughs> you know, but we, we don't we don't get much before Brink gets killed in a, a it's a very odd, odd death. Also made a note. Did you notice that on the screen uh, that part of the Horror Vision like app or website said Tyrell Corporation? Yes. Yeah, which was a little wink and a nod to, of course, the Tyrell Corporation from Blade Runner. But I had to make a note of that. I was like, yep, for a movie that's about cyber tech, it's it's a nice little wink and a nod. Good writing. Good mm-hmm. writing. But it's a very nightmarish dust scene. I mean, it's a hoses and wires and electrical uh, cables just start coming up and enveloping Brink until she... And a very... Um, it reminded me a little bit of like a more independent lower budget version of some scenes like from tetsuo the iron man if you've ever seen that sure yeah absolutely kind of it kind of had that cyberpunkish kind of look and it kind of like they with the way it was shot it was just very cyberpunkish very tetsuo like and so you, i appreciate that you've heard how she explains her death right no how i have she, I haven't. She, died, how she gets kind of death by oh. pixelation <laughs> That's how Brink describes is, it herself. Yeah, which is basically true. She, you know, just sort of vaporizes into a clump of pixels that just absorb into the computer screen of her honking 2001 desktop computer. So first time ever also, I believe, where she actually appears and dies on camera before her name actually appears on camera. <laughs> and Brink has done a lot of films and died in a lot of films. So that's a feat right there. Very, <laughs> very much. But uh, there's a lot of people in this film, a lot of Full Moon alumni, a lot of uh, Tempe Entertainment al- alumni. 
Eventually, we uh, you know we get James Black playing Bradbury, who was from JR's Ozone, a zombie cop. Uh, I mean, he's got more than 140 credits. We got uh, Ariana Albright, though I don't know much about her. I know she's done a lot of work, and she was you know acting, producing. It's you know, and, and again, it's a oh good. <laughs> Tons of Tempe work like Bloodletting and Polymorph. And she ended up being in a lot of Full Moon content as well, like uh, being the lead witch in Witch House 1 and 2. Yep, yep. Ariana used to even extra factoid for you, I'm sorry. She used to actually oh. do a lot of extras casting for Surrender Cinema. And when she would not find someone in time, you would occasionally see her appear as an uncredited extra in Surrender Cinema movies, always in a non-performance role. Ah. <laughs> it's been years, like in the 90s, I remember seeing almost all of those Seduction Cinema titles. Mm-hmm. It's been years since I've seen any of them. I used to have them all on DVD, and Lord knows what happened to them. Yeah, I know what happened to them. When I made Postmortem America, I sold my entire uh, DVD collection, so that's likely yeah. what happened to all those. I sold everything. Sold 1,500 DVDs, and I re- Regret it, but I don't regret it. But that's a story for another time. I know it happens. <laughs> but uh, you know, this movie is filled with a lot of, uh, like I said, Full Moon alumni and uh, Chuck Williams, who was AD on Near Dark, Killer Tomatoes, Eat France. I mean, he was even an actor in Demon Wind, uh, Puppet Master Five, Witch House Two, uh, Soul Taker, Soul Taker, Groom Lake, <laughs> Groom Lake is another one. He was in Puppet Master 5. Yep, yep. Stitches, I think, believe, too, if I remember correctly. He actually played the title villain in a later Full Moon-produced Danny Draven film also, a movie called Dark Walker, where he was actually the killer monster at a Halloween haunt. Oh, really? When did that come out? That's not... Um, Around the same era. It was probably mid two thousands, oh five or six ish, maybe. Nice. We also get an appearance. <laughs> I shouldn't say it's not a really a, an actor, but it's a character in and of itself. Uh, we get an appearance by the Dark Delicacies, which I have heard of for many, many years. I'm very familiar with it, but I have never been. Have you ever been to Dark Delicacies, Dustin? I friggin' wish. I When I was in L.A., when I went to California four years ago, and I actually did a movie with Brink, um, we finally had a, a day spare. And I don't remember the exact reason, but we, we couldn't get over there. We were in the area, but it was just so congested, and we couldn't, we couldn't get a decent parking space anywhere nearby. <laughs> so we, we just kind of drove past. But, yeah, this, this has the old, uh, I believe locate the old store location in Burbank. So that Del Howison used to be at. So wish I had a, seen it. But I that's didn't. actually um Dark Dell that's in the movie as the caretaker of the store, isn't it? Yes, that is Del Howison, one of uh, I believe he and his wife Onan cooperate it, but he's more more so the, the face of face of it. Yeah. So one of two full moon movies he's appeared in because he actually has a cameo as himself in Evil Bong 420. Oh, that's right. He is in that. I thought he looked familiar. <laughs> he's just sitting there reading the the then current issue of Delirium magazine. So. <laughs> and there's the whole wall. Well, uh, 
Des and his girlfriend Daz or Dazzy or sit and have a conversation because she tries to talk to him seriously about some stuff because you find out besides all this photography and and triple x rated stuff that he's doing he is guess what a screenwriter Uh, (laughs) i forgot all about that part of the movie i hadn't seen it in so many years i forgot about that little subplot that his girlfriend is trying to convince him to write (laughs) his script but I, i i i i had to laugh because, like, as they're talking about these movies and stuff, there's a whole wall of full moon figures behind them. So you can see Jester, you can see Pinhead, you can see all the different dolls and all the different figurines behind them, Blade, everybody. Yep. But th- there's the the movie is, I call it, is checkered here and there throughout with um, news ads, news blips about mass murders happening, people going nuts and shooting, you know, mass shootings, setting places on fire, killing their entire families. So you do get the idea that the world is quickly going to hell in a handbasket, but you don't necessarily see any of it. You just hear about it. You see a a newscast, but it's, I I just kind of love that idea. If it's a world that's slowly going mad around Des and Dazzy, but they only kind of hear about it and they just kind of ignore it until it's obviously, you know, too fucking late. Uh, they, 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 there's another really creepy scene was the scene at, at dark delicacies because, only because like she's trying to talk to him. Dazzy is trying to talk to Des about, you know, getting serious about his movie work and screen screenplay work. And he thinks, Oh shit. Only thing he can think of is you're not pregnant. Are you? Oh God, I don't need a little one running around. It's like, <laughs> He, he's just kind of a douche you know he, he's I don't, I don't know like I, for a guy that's supposed to be our lead hero and main character he's just maybe i'm wrong but i don't find him very likable he's a very like yeah he's someone who seems like he just is kind of like fuck the system and he's one of those sort of like self-involved disaffected youths that just kind of like wants to do his own thing and fuck everyone else <laughs> like is kind of the impression I got it upon my rewatch. Cause I've, I've seen this movie a lot over the years, but it's always kind of like, it's one that never freshly sticks in my brain. So it's usually like kind of watching it with fresh eyes each time. Cause I always forget how many people are even in it, honestly, as far as like all the, the face, the faces and stuff. And every time it's always kind of fresh. And this time watching it though, I was like, yeah, that, He's kind of an asshole. He's so <laughs> unlikely of heroes. Yeah, he's he's, but you know he's he's real though. I'll say that. So he's he's very he, he's genuine. He knows who he is, and, yeah. and and he doesn't make any uh, excuses for it. So he's, he's as, at least he's as, he's as real as someone that age in that time trying to be like internet like outlaw kind of can be that would randomly have cyberpunk tattooed on his back <laughs> I, I thought looked like trying to be like fake hard internet <laughs> like hacker oh yeah it is a obviously very very fake tattoo <laughs> yes very very <laughs> like, and they make it a point to show it to you too because she's got to like run her finger over it very delicately and i'm like okay i get it he's supposed to be like i don't know it i think this is a little post to that era of like hackers when that movie came out and everyone kind of had these yes. weird preconceived notions of like what the internet's gonna be and stuff kind of like when 
Lawnmower Man and even Full Moon's Arcade came out, we kind of had these preconceived notions about like what's you know virtual reality was going to do to everything in the world and stuff. And it's like, yeah, yeah, kind of misconceived what what direction all this was going to go in, didn't we? <laughs> now, now it's just everybody's got a little personal computer on their phone, and they're just all self self absorbed in their own world on it. Yeah, I feel like the cyberpunk like subculture too was sort of almost like just kind of fabricated from movies like this as well. Because I don't know, I've never known people like that. <laughs> like, I had one friend back in the day in the late '80s, early '90s that was big into like hacking and building his own computers. But he was like the one person I knew, and it was just a guy with a, you know, just a normal dude that just liked to build computers and you know build the little trinkets from scratch, you know, and that was sure really the you, extent of it. Are you sure you didn't watch war games one too many times? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he, he might've seen war games. One too many times. He's a big conspiracy theorist. So it, yeah, it kind of goes with the same fucking territory. Yep. Yep. But after the dark delicacy scene, they get, uh, well, one, one thing I must make note of does a screenplay. He, he has this, this moment where he ponders for a moment when she, when Dazzy asks him what's it's going to be called. And he just goes cyber vamps. Like it's the coolest <laughs> fucking thing. Like nobody has ever thought of that. And I just, I had to write it down. I'm like, what would, what would it, I want to know what would his script really would have been about. Would it have been about like the cybernetic vampires or what, you know, I just would have like one little tidbit of what the cyber vamps Dude, I- story. I'd watch the shit out of that movie. It sounds like a full moon movie. (laughs) Yes, cybernetic. Yeah, like cybernetic inter, like internet vampires. And I'm down. Yeah, it it sounds like the greatest full moon movie never made. (laughs) (laughs) Put that on the list. (laughs) Like, well. We get another scene afterwards. Des and Dazzy are back at, uh, I imagine it was, uh, it's not very clear, but they're back at the, the apartment, his apartment. And he's going through his emails. He's going through all his stuff. And he comes across the, the Horror Vision ad or slash website. It's not very, it's never really quite clear exactly what it is. But yeah. It, I, I was kind of confused even in the Brink scene, rewatching it too, where it's like, how she got through that portal of, you know, like chain of websites or links to just get to what she did. Cause I don't know. It just in retrospect, it looks and feels like they didn't really understand so much how the internet works. (laughs) (laughs) But but I think that was based on, but I think that was like the stone age preconceived idea of like, this is what the internet is too. And so I don't know. They were doing a little bit of predicting, and they they only got a part right. They only got yeah. a part. Right. Definitely, but, things changed because we have pop up blockers now and things like that. Because they'll get all these like pop ups of shit everywhere and stuff, and it's like I don't have those problems. Yep, <laughs> so, not anymore. I remember the old pop up, the old days. Yeah, yeah, I don't have to worry about that no more with the yep. antivirus. It's great. Yep. But he, he gets into the Horror Vision site slash ad. It infects his computer and it has this, the collage of pictures firing rapidly, you know, of Brink and Linnea and Amber and Julie and everybody. But then there's a text that scrolls across. And I actually paused it and wrote this entire sequence down. And I'm going to recite it for you folks. 
Huh? I didn't write it down, but I did actually pause it and really reread it like two or three times to take it in for context. Yeah, it's a great, it's the best little bit of dialogue. In, it's the best little bit in the entire movie, the best written bit. And yeah. for those of you at home who haven't seen the film or if you have and don't remember any of it, I'm going to read it as such as it goes. The human race is a ludicrous mistake, a cancer that devours itself along with everything in its path. The destroyer much itself be destroyed in a torrent. I thought that was funny on a side note, torrent mm-hmm. <laughs> of agony and bloodshed. They will turn against their own kind. They will kill their children and feed on the flesh of the weak. That is just, it, it painted a picture of a movie that we didn't really get to see though, you yeah. know, but it, it's a great little bit of dialogue. I think that was probably the implication that like we would eventually. So, but alas, well, we won't get totally ahead of ourselves because yeah, like last week I mean, the implication of that so but yeah the because the movie itself does have a very uh what the fuck kind of ending but uh yeah. then we get the, the matrix numbers falling shot the green numbers falling from the top of the screen which they you know they threw that in there because of the matrix but it's, it's such a brief moment it was just like i felt like of all the things they were showing us on this collage of pictures and whatnot as his computers going nuts. That's the one thing they could have cut. It just didn't need to be there. It just, mm-hmm. it felt very, you know, just too much of a wink, wink, nod, nod, but that's just me. But Daz or Des is completely transfixed by what he's seeing on the screen. He's almost in a trance. Dazzy comes up, unplugs the computer, the electrical shock blows her back off her feet and she gets much like uh, Brink does. She dies in Dez's arms by death by pixelation. And she kind of gets absorbed into the computer much in the same way by the, the Horror Vision app. I'll just keep calling it an app because that's essentially <laughs> what it is. I was going to say you're predating the technology. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there were no apps back then, but I don't know what else to call it because it's, it's, they keep saying it's a website, but it doesn't really operate like a website. You know, what we call apps on our phone are basically what the like desktop icons are on your laptop or home computer, basically, I think. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, Anna. But now poor Des is by himself. You know, he's yeah, he's alone in the alone in the world. Des gets killed or absorbed into the system. <clears throat> Excuse me. But then not following too much after that, we got our first and only appearance by Ariana Albrecht. Uh, she's basically, I, it's not, again, not very clear. Uh, the Tony character that Brink Stevens played in the beginning owes her some money. I, I guess that she was one of the extreme content models. And she's not, it's not very clear. She's basically just a junkie. She's made up to look like she's fiending yeah. for a and she's <laughs> she Brink, just, you know, Brink lives in the most horrendous apartment building on the planet because it is like crawling with like the dredges of society. Yeah, you know, for for somebody that was supposed to be rich, making all the money on these websites and whatnot, she, she didn't put anything into her living quarters at all. She she was just living like it, it kind of reminded me of like Rooker Howard's apartment in Split Second. Everything was this teeming with like. Scuzziness. Totally. 
But then we get the the coolest character in the movie that the after after uh, Des has a moment with Ariana Albright's character where they exchange some money for information. He basically says, "Yeah, I'll pay you off whatever debt that uh, Tori or uh, Tony uh, uh, owed you. I'll, I'll get I'll pay you money if you just give me some answers." So he gets a few answers from her. He leaves. Then we get a little cameo from uh, Ward Bolt and Tammy Sutton, who are in a bunch of. Uh, Full Moon stuff, uh, Seduction Cinema stuff, but um, we'll get back to them in a bit. But there, there are a couple of crazy people that are basically just junkies that are uh, basically just assaulting each other. And <laughs> Ariane Albright's character is just like, yeah, as, as Des is trying to leave because she basically says, hey, I'll do you for 100 bucks. I'll do anything you want. Okay, 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 I'll give you 50. And he's just like, no, nah, I'm not interested. And she basically gets offended and basically tells the two uh junkies yeah i want you kill him want you bash his brains in on the <laughs> way out so he has to run for his life and she calls him she calls him some pretty insane names too when he's like fleeing so she has some harsh words for him some questionable words that of, were not one of which is always like kind of shocking to even hear in movies and you know which one i'm talking about so because there's, just... that, there's that brief moment where kelly Rowland calls freddie that in the versus movie so just in case you don't know what it is now like everyone probably does so <laughs> yeah and it's just they threw that word around so much in the like the early 2000s it just seemed like okay i really want to insult somebody we're gonna call him this and it's Yep. God, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's a, it's an uncomfortable moment. It really makes you hate her character. I keep forgetting what her character's name is. I didn't write it down in my notes, but yeah, yeah. she's kind of a she's kind of a scumbag. Not it's just for saying it's not just for saying that, but she's just a scumbag altogether. All the character, not she, Ariana. I think she played Nala. Wasn't that her name? Nala. Or something like that. Nala or Nola. Not to yeah, be confused that was, with like Simba's girlfriend, but like, yeah, with <laughs> Nala or something. So, not a common name. Oh no! But then eh, we does escapes uh, almost certain death by getting his skull crushed in by the two junkies. And who does he run into into the in the parking garage? We got our low budget version of Morpheus. Uh, James Black shows up in a very nice black leather trench coat. Perched on his car, I always felt like this scene reminded me of. Um, you ever seen the movie The Prophecy? You know, with uh, Christopher Walken, how he would perch almost like a bird. Yeah, there's on, a lot on... of a lot of perching. There was a lot of perching going around in a lot of that Bookwalter Tempe era <laughs> of Full Moon. There's a lot of characters perched. So, but yeah, the, James Black is the definition of cool in that leather jacket, perched on the car. But yeah, he plays, and and I love his name, Bradbury. It's also just very foreboding. But he he basically shows up and you know and tells him what's going to be what. But you know, of course, does does listen? No, he doesn't listen. And instead of getting another, what I would have figured was going to happen, I remember when I first saw this, I figured, okay, now we're going to get a training montage. We're going to get one of those old school '80s style training montages. Mm -hmm. Nope. We get a sepia-toned, angst-ridden, 90s-style music video montage. I, I, have to th I have to throw in, and you might be about ready to say it, there's a lot of driving montages in this movie. <laughs> That's what I was... I counted, because there are four of them. <laughs> like, yeah. That one, yeah, this one, that weird sepia 
tone one is like one of the weirdest ones. I know someone and they, they watched this for the first time, you know, maybe a year or so ago and they were like obsessed with it. And they're like, dude, I love that scene where like they just drive around all tripped out to LA and it's like all the colors washed out. And I'm like, yeah, and he like, and he recorded the music from the scenes too, so he could play. And he's like, dude, I just drive around and play this music and like get all tripped out like I'm in horror vision. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and here I am thinking to myself, that was like the, the to me, it was the worst scene of the movie. And, and I like the movie, don't get me wrong, but oh yeah, yeah I, I just, honestly cut all those those literally four driving montage scenes out you'd lose probably about 10 minutes of footage eight ten minutes of footage so it, it, at that point it'd only be an hour long because the movie with credits is 72 minutes it's very yeah. short that's yeah, a shorty and our first real you know it's not really until later when he gets to the the Pacific Grand Hotel, which uh, the exterior is great, the the interior <laughs> is 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 not so great, but the exterior is just just that it's grand. It's a grand looking old hotel. But you get to the the clerk, which I believe that's who uh, um, Chuck oh, Williams. Chuck Williams, <laughs> but he is just a disgusting. He is disgusting beyond words. Just smacking flies with the fly swatter, flicking them off the counter, and just. You know, kind of looks like he stepped out of the movie Maniac, you know, like yeah. that kind of hotel operator. Dirty, sweat-stained wife beater. Like. <laughs> oh, God. It's so sweat-stained, you look like you spilled lemonade all over it. It's so yellow. It's just, oh, I don't want to know what that shirt smelled like. <laughs> but then we get, which is probably one of your favorite, I'm going to guess it's one of your favorite parts when Des actually get, uh, gets up to his room. Boom, yeah. we, get, we get an arcade promo. You at home that don't know, Arcade is another Full Moon movie. It is Dustin's favorite Full Moon movie, and like but it just it just goes from is, is this a perfect because it's another movie about that kind of like obsolete you know technology it's, video yeah. game. I always thought it was fitting because to me, Horror Vision always felt like the internet based um, sister film to arcade as the video game film if that makes sense uh, it actually makes perfect sense because i had a note here was arcade and horror vision sister films yeah i'm know? sure it was it was definitely a conscious effort because i mean you can see a lot of that kind of in promotion like that you know like in shrunken heads they sit and they're watching like robot wars on tv or something like that you know uh area like you know there's a crash and burn promo in another one, you know, like, but, um, I'm sure that the choice of using arcade was probably more conscious than like, Oh, let's just shoehorn this in. Right. Right. It's not like in demonic toys where the, the, uh, security guard has got puppet master oh. two playing in a timeless loop. Yeah, the same scene, the same scene. You just keep watching the same scene on repeat, but I mean, it's Charlie Spradling. So who can blame him? Yeah, exactly. And Charlie <laughs> Spradling's on screen, you would have that on repeat. <laughs> exactly. And it's her best scene, so. <laughs> right. And then it goes right into a, a Dead Next Door promo, too, which, you yep. know, that was also very de deliberate, having, uh, you know, Book Walter shoehorn one of his own films in there for a minute. And that's my favorite Book Walter film. We ought to review that on a future show, but 
Yeah, it was just a neat little scene. And but still, you know, as he's nodding off and going to sleep, we get more mass killings on the TV. Again, not showing anything. They're just radio radio promos and uh, television spots about more mass killings, more shootings, more arsons, and just people going crazy. But then we get our first real, like, it's not until halfway through the film we get our first real creature. You know, I mean, we've we've had horrific deaths. We've had, you know, some creepy scenes. But for a full moon movie, it, it waits until that halfway point to get us our first real creature, which is a very, it's, it's a cybernetic robot, but it's kind of, like, very beetle-like. Yeah, it's like a rolling metal, like, like metallic sphere that opens up into like yeah like a like a robotic beetle like centipede looking roach yeah, looking creature and, that, thing and, gets, and it, that thing gets body count too it does the actual killing like for most it of the does all the killing you know i mean yeah. all the on-screen deaths are mostly you know i mean Other, are, other than the the girlfriend and Tony getting you know death by pixelation, it it kills everyone else. It's very face hungry. It's a yeah. face bite. It likes to chew on faces, and I felt like the scene for a brief moment felt very phantasm like because like the scene in Phantasm where the finger turns into that horrific double bug, and they wrap oh, it up okay. in a shirt and kind of beat it against the wall and beat it against you yep. know. The floor and whatnot. It it's felt like it was a very much a phantasm homage to me, and like a good homage. So, and then yeah. it follows up by eating the hotel clerk's face off. So you know, good old Beetle Beetle Bailey to the rescue. <laughs> it's weird. I'm going to make a weird parallel because that little rolly creature and it like attacks, you know, and it it kills, yeah, you know, Schizo the clerk, played by Chuck Williams. The 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 girlfriend is played by Maggie Rose Fleck. She ended up being in a subsequent co- Tempe co-production for Full Moon. I don't know if you've seen it called Stitches. Have you ever I heard of that seen, one? I, I have heard of it. I've seen it around. I've seen trailers for it, but it yeah. has uh, escaped me. Maggie Rose was in it with uh, Deborah Mayer. And in that movie, there is a witch, and she she's a... Uh, She's a demon who wears human skin. She has. Um, they, they originally were going to have it be something else, but it, it ended up becoming she has little balls that roll around and attack people with their balls of paper, and they open up, and they're actual paper dolls. So <laughs> Maggie Rose Fleck ended up being in two full moon movies where they're like the lead villains have these uh, rolly ball creatures that open up into bizarre <laughs> villains but i mean stitches they were fucking paper dolls so <laughs> yeah. but, well and this one is it's very it looks very steampunkish meets cyberpunkish yeah. the ball they're, they're, they're effective looking too they look scary like if i saw that i would not fucking want that anywhere near me Oh, I'd, I'd run uh, screaming like a, like a little bitch. I would, yeah, I would very, very insect, like robotic insect shit. Like, like I said, they look like giant robotic roaches to me that are like on steroids that like got yeah. really long. <laughs> it looks like, you know, like a, a robotic version of uh, a roach meets a, a centipede. 
Uh-huh. And it's this very pinchy, very bitey, very scorpion-like, and again, very face-hungry because it pops up again and kills another, you know, another character, I and mean, it goes straight for the face. Yep. And so, uh, Bradbury shows up again to kind of save the day and give some more Morpheus talk and speak. And he, everything that James Black says as Bradbury is very cryptic. He, he he's like you know trying to like educate Des on what's going on and whatnot, but he just, he refuses to give him any of the complete details. So he's very, again, very Morpheus-like. There's not, there's a scene, you know, the, there's not a scene with the, uh, a red pill or blue pill, but I feel like in a way there should have been one. Mm-hmm. We get where they rendezvous, they're going to wor- World Cyberport, uh, to, and they meet up with a character named Synth. And they meet up with the the Wetwire character that is working for Manifesto. And Manifesto is the creature, the the website that is controlling everything, I guess. Uh, is again, not very, because you don't really ever see Manifesto. You get that, you know, there's, it's hard to describe because they don't just describe it very fully. But uh, when they get to World Cyberport, they meet up with a guy named Synth that is trying to get into the world cyberport building but they they can't get in through the door but des being a pickpocket he's you know he's not neo but he is the one or at least one of seven mm-hmm. but it's it's just really hard to describe this scene with wetwire the wetwire character is great it kind of reminded me of of the, of dollman the floating head I keep forgetting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alien Outlaw. It's weird. Have you ever seen The Mangler 2? No, I've just seen... No, I've just seen the first Mangler. Thematically unrelated, uh, but it is about a group of kids trapped in like some kind of, I think, an apartment building complex that has an advanced AI computer security system and at some point the system merges with Lance Henriksen. I don't remember who he played character wise, but in the end of the film he is exposed. And if you look look the movie up, the cover of the box is him as the security system. And he is like a human puppet extended from wires and the wires are attached to like his head and stuff. I don't remember which movie came out first, but they were around the same time. They were both early 2000. And they both have the idea of what, because it's never explained what Wetwire is, but he feels like he was someone that was maybe recruited, maybe not willingly, you know, and somehow merged with technology because he is like a half human thing that's hanging from the ceiling and he has like a the neatest thing I think is he has like the weird it almost looks like a headdress of wires yeah. and electricity shit coming out of his head and yeah, then he has like the, the top of his like, head. yeah so he he looks cool uh, he's shown in a lot of like distant like very not mobile wide shots a lot <laughs> where you can tell that he's just not very mobile you know but uh 
he's a cool he's a cool idea and i always kind of in the back of my mind assumed that his origin might have been something similar to what happened to lance in mangler 2 because he seems like you know that's his job but he didn't choose it if that makes sense yeah it's like kind of like it shows him as an unwilling participant yeah he ended up becoming like the keeper of uh, all of the technologically futuristically advanced cd-rom oh, that is that is the next note i have is that you know because the whole time des is trying to get dazzy back he's trying to get uh, uh t- tony back you know he's trying to figure out what happened to his friend he's trying to figure out what happened uh you know to his girlfriend and they're all like on this spine of uh, CDs, and it's it, it doesn't make sense. It, it just like you could store a whole person's essence and, and data and everything on one lone seven hundred megabyte, seven hundred fifty megabyte uh, <laughs> CD ROM. That's that, that's just they were grabbing for beans with their their technological uh, offshoots there. Yeah, it's like watching the videotapes in Total Recall. It's the future, baby. <laughs> yeah, sure is. Or dare, oh, dare, I, dare I say it again? That big honking desktop on Joe Death's friggin' desk in uh, Transfer Six. The future is desktop. <laughs> um, oh, that's great. But then they 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 get one of the CDs. They they that Dazzy is supposed to be on. They pop it in the computer. And there's some very pixelated video of Dazzy that's sitting there just basically like, you know, please end me. Please kill me. This is no kind of existence. And, you know, there's the kind of existential crisis moment. Does, does he keep her on CD or does he destroy it? And, of course, he he destroys the CD, which in essence destroys her essence, I guess, for all time. And that pisses Wetwire off as he puts it manifesto, the boss whom we really never see. For this, you know, up, you know, at least until this moment, uh, it's going to make him angry, I guess, because I mean, yeah, see, kinda, is he a, a technological devil that gets mad when souls on CD get destroyed? Yeah, I, I one thing that confused me was, and maybe I just I wasn't really sure. Maybe and I don't know, I didn't have recollection of it. But like when he broke the CD-ROM, did did you understand that as he was trying to? put her out of her misery or he was trying to set her free like he thought that would bring her back i always thought that just set her essence free i thought he was in my eyes he was putting her out of her misery yeah as i I think he felt like there was there well you know uh because wetwire tells him you know there's no way of changing this that this is the way it is you can't save her you can't get her off the cd she's yeah, she's been trapped in the most cutting edge technology for storing information. Yeah. She turned into Max Headroom minus the neon. Well, I even made a note here. People reduced to a CD ROM, quote unquote, it's the best way to store them. I'm like, really? You're the best <laughs> way to store souls are on CDs? Wetwire I mean, clearly didn't travel from the future, that's for sure. So. Oh, oh God. Yeah, he, he didn't. Yeah. He hadn't seen an SD card. <laughs> he hadn't. He hadn't seen an <laughs> iPhone yet. I think if they had seen the future, they would have realized. Old Wetwire and uh, Manifesto would have realized that they were going about things all wrong. 
Yeah, their future technologies were like Blackberries and and CD-ROMs. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then I uh, the next note I have is we have the return of Beetle Bailey again for more face munching. Uh, he uh, takes out Synth, which is just really weird because the Synth character was mentioned as one of the earlier in one of the news broadcasts, if I remember right, is one of the guys that had went nuts and killed his family, but he saved a bullet for the computer. Yeah, because he yeah it's, it, it feels like such a throwaway character to, to introduce him. And he's an interesting character, too. He has an interesting look and his uh, the way he acts and everything is very memorable, but he just doesn't really amount to anything as a character. He's just introduced in one scene and then killed in the very next is this yeah he 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 amounts to squat which is just weird from a storytelling standpoint kind of yeah. almost it's it's as honestly for me as a viewer it's almost as unexpected as the fact that like you know maggie rose fleck is second build as the, the girlfriend and she dies like in the beginning of the movie like she yeah. dies really early and then she's just gone <laughs> like other than the a couple little flashback vignettes yeah, and easy. you know and that's it and the in the pixelated video begging for her own death i mean like it's, it's yeah it is kind of weird that she's second build and and, and i think and maybe it, like some brief stock footage cameo of her in like one of those tripped out car driving montages where he remembers <laughs> oh god <laughs> was that montage number three, or is that the fourth one? Or we, I, we're not. Up to the I fourth think one it was yet. around like the third ish one, yeah. Because then the the last, yeah, it's like the third ish one. I think after the bizarre sepia tone one, <laughs> like, oh the sepia my. tone one is was just such a weird choice. I don't know, but I don't know. you remember yeah. it. So. Yeah, you remember it. It stands out whether you like it or don't like it. It, it stands out because it, it does make you take notice. Just <laughs> remember, it's like, you one until you've recorded the music and just drive around town playing the horror vision music, tripped <laughs> out, and, I don't know, not giving shits about nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I, I guess I'm just not somebody then, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what, what happens? We get we get the death of synth, uh, Des and Bradbury escape, and we have another driving montage uh, <laughs> where they start to kind of uh, bond a little bit. As much as Bradbury will bond with him, is is like the one scene they have where they basically they drive. I wrote they drove until the world slash road ended. It's just yeah. like the and, you know. I will state that in the audio commentary, Bookwalter does verify that the 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 montages did actually exist in the script. Like they were intended to be there. <laughs> so they weren't like a last minute, like, oh darn, our movie's super short. Just, you know, in defense of the movie, you know, they were actually intended to be be there. So nice i like the last one the last driving montage because it has a very end of the world type vibe to it it's, it's yes. kind of almost like um the end of like uh in the mouth of madness yeah you, you know it's just like the implication you get from bradbury what like what little 
plot he's divulging and stuff is, is that it feels like there's something greater at work that's happening. Yeah, and there's something, there's a, a bigger picture that neither one of them has seen yet. Yeah, and, like, why are there seven? Who, like, what's so special about these people? Well, and there's supposed to be seven, and they're only two of the seven, Bradbury and Des, you know, and they, you know, there's a moment that's coming in a little bit later where he reveals there's that he has, uh, Bradbury reveals that he has a list with all the names of all the chosen ones, which we never are previewed to that information. That's all given to Des, you know, it's n- never revealed on the piece of paper what these names are and who these people are. But they drive until the world ends, the road just ends, the car dies out in the desert, and you kind of get the idea that even time is kind of slipping. At least that's the idea that I got, like, reality is slipping, time is slipping. And they, you know, up until this point, they have ditched all their technology. Uh, Bradbury's made them ditch his, his cell phone, his, his not, I don't know what the hell the little handheld device was. It was a futuristic, uh, or not a futuristic at all, but a... Uh, very weird kind of handheld tablet that wasn't a tablet. Yeah. I don't know what yeah. it was. Yeah, like some kind of little handheld. Yeah, I don't know. A ta- like a tablet, but not. Yeah, honestly, I hadn't even like heard the word Blackberry until you said it for like ages. I forgot they existed. <laughs> so for all I know, that could have been one because I never had one and I didn't know anyone that had or used one. So yeah, might have been. I've never owned one myself. My first uh cell phone and held on to it for many years was just a simple track phone because yeah. I, I it was as cheap as they come like beepers or something like i never knew anyone that had any any kind of like technology like that i never knew anyone that used that kind of stuff when my older brother got his cell phone in like the mid 90s i remember we all used to make fun of him because we were like oh you're so important you need to be able to have people be able to contact you you know no matter what any time of day and he's like yeah, basically. <laughs> well, okay then. <laughs> you know. And now everybody has one, and yeah, some people have more than yeah. one. You know. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like you just, I, I couldn't imagine not having it now. So, and I'm. Yeah, I, neither I'm, can I. I'm, it's so, I'm it's so weird. On my <laughs> Well, it is it is so odd, like how dependent we all become, and and I, I think it's funny the people who are just like I'm not technology dependent, and I'm like, well, you're posting about how you're not technology dependent on Facebook, so you are. You're, you're talking you're not about it on technology. On <laughs> technology to put it out into the ether for everybody to read, you know. Uh, but we're getting off track here. But a movie about technology, I guess as long as we're talking about tech, new and old, we're we're still technically on track. Um, <laughs> we get yeah. another we get we get another wacko nightmare before they uh, with more mass murdering stories where Bradbury reveals that he used to work for Cyberport. And he was there kind of like at zero hour when the site went online and basically as he puts it to Des, the manifesto character created it, the you know the entity that is manifesto created itself. Is that we we as people create a technology and now the technology is becoming self-aware and the manifesto created the horror vision website, which is making everybody go nuts. So that's why I mean it's it's it was pretty apparent we didn't really need 
Brad Berry to explain all that to us at the end, other than the fact that he used to work for Cyberport. But it was pretty apparent that that's the angle they were going with is that technology became self-aware, kind of a Terminator Judgment Day kind of mode with, you know, Cyberdyne systems and you know, it all ver- it works when you start messing with timelines and time travel and science fiction. That's the best thing about science fiction. You can make up your own fucking rules. And that's kind of what they did here, which I enjoy. We get a, a, a moment where they realize uh, when Dez's watch goes off. And this is something we mentioned, the watch at the beginning. This watch, w- w- they might have predicted the Apple watch. The Apple watch. <laughs> yeah, they might have predicted it by, you know, 20 years. Because yeah. there was nothing like this back in that day. I mean, I could do some search and I could uh, go on the internet and look myself, but I'm fairly yeah. certain. I'm like 99.5% sure there was nothing like this back yeah. in the day. It's weird. I'll, I'll say this. Like, I, I was confused because I was like, okay, well, maybe he just has like, you know, he's got his watch and it's got like a timer on it that he can set, you know, for a little alarm. You know, that, that makes sense. It being yes. technologically connected somehow doesn't overly make sense to me because like i said i mean you couldn't even i don't think we could send picture texts until like oh nine ish or something almost eight years later so right i I question its capability but in again in defense of the movie i know that you know and you're probably aware of this too jr is very much a techie he loves technology and I would like to think that whatever it was, there is some kind of logic to it that's maybe lost on me because I'm not familiar. I'm not knowledgeable of those objects <laughs> or that tech. But I would I would hope that there there was probably some kind of thought process there that made sense that is lost on me 20 years later. I'm assuming, though. <laughs> And I'm just not very tech savvy either, so I'm I'm willing to at least suspend my disbelief till I can get the the word the word straight from the horse's mouth of of uh, maybe from Jr. himself one day and find out exactly if there was something like that because it basically it, it was time to go off with his stock market reports and yes. it was linked to the stock market <laughs> because it summons. Basically, the what I consider was manifesto in the flesh, which is this huge robot that again is very kind of Tetsuo Tetsuo the the Iron Man looking. You know, it's very cyberpunkish with just a biomechanical monster. Then this one is not a little thing. This is is not the little Beetle Bailey that we saw. This is a full like seven foot tall human sized robot that is fucking creepy looking and yeah, it looks very, very cool. you know uh, what i always wonder what every time i watch a movie like this you know and i know most of the time i don't want to know what happened to it because it would just make me sad i always think to myself what happened to those props you know to those puppets oh, and, and those things like where did they end up because if i had a home big enough i would put them all in a home so they would never be lonely again i love all these little creations and, and little uh, things and, and not so little things but i just want to know what happened to you know manifesto i'd assume that he probably was at effect the effects man's shop or something you know uh, i think it was david lange was that who i think the effects artist was i think i'm not sure david david barton i can't remember um 
but that's who I like to think probably kept some of that stuff. It, it was uh, David Barton. Uh, David Barton. I looked it yeah. up while we were talking. And, and uh, uh, David Langs Lang did some of the uh, visual effects. But yeah, I'm sure it probably the, the animatronic robotic manifesto probably sat around in their shop until it took up too much room and then they just eventually either sold it, got rid of it, or dismantled it, which is I just... Was, yeah, that's that's the typical course of things. They either, like, it just takes up too much space and they sell it, like, on eBay, or shit just gets tossed out. And yeah, and trashed. that's just... It's just sad. Um, there should be there should be a place where all those little lonely souls can go when when they're done finished with and retired, you know, just sit on a shelf like the Ark of the Covenant in a box. I think that's probably Tom Devlin's monster museum, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. That's, that's where that's where a lot of things should go. Is it's like his his monster museum it's for preservation purposes. But because of. Uh, Dez's watch, we now get the death of Bradbury. He gets his face, uh, would you say he pretty much gets his head crushed, I guess is the way that Manifesto kills him? I, I kind of, yeah, I guess. It just kind of, I was kind of confused as to how he got killed, honestly. He was just kind of like beaten to death or something. So, yeah, yeah probably some kind of head injuries because his head is pretty pretty beaten looking so that's my guess anyway and then we essentially have the end of our movie you know as bradbury is coughing up his up his blood and 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 dying his last breath he uh he hands does the list the infamous list that we never get to see and tells him that he needs to find the other chosen ones on this list and fight manifesto and fight horror vision and continue to fight another day, and basically that, you know, as he's given his death speech, which they, they destroy Manifesto, really not by destroying him. He takes, a, a, I mean, does takes a rock, a boulder, and although it takes about 10 smashes to, to destroy <laughs> the watch, I don't understand why it, why it took more than one, but he smashes the rock with a little boulder. Manifesto basically just kind of pixelates. He, it's, yeah, he does. Yeah, he doesn't get defeated. He just sort of gets disabled, I think, more or less. Because the yeah. connection, whatever magic connection that watch had, uh, cut him off to the real world, I guess. And he was relegated back to the to the ether. <laughs> yeah, and after Bradbury dies, it just sort of ends. I mean, it's just Des walking out into the desert amongst the sand and, and the cacti. And it just dissolves to the credits. And very abrupt ending. <laughs> yeah, very abrupt ending. I forgot it it ended so abrupt. I hadn't seen it in so many years that the abrupt ending kind of just hit me. I was just like, wait, really? Like there wasn't more? Like I've, I, I, I've used this phrase before. It is a very classic sequel ready non-ending. Yep. And I think it just, that's what it they just, were it just stops. There's no closure. There's no nothing. It just stops. Like, fucking Mephisto was sent back to the internet. Bradbury's dead. The end. <laughs> like, 
Des is wandering alone like Mad Max in the apocalyptic wasteland, and it just is over. It's a, it's kind of like uh, the ending of Albert Pune's Nights, with mm. which is also a cybernetic <laughs> kind of movie. You like Can you Knights. feel like, huh? Knights. Knights. <laughs> <laughs> but it just it has one of those very non-ending like you feel like you're getting set up for the ending like you're getting set up for the third act and then nothing you just yep. get nothing and I, I think it was very classic you know that that I always relate it back to the 80s style of having that slasher movie set up with the killer opening his eyes at the end you know it's that kind of that ending like well you know we didn't really have an ending but we got an idea for a sequel follow us into the next chapter. And unfortunately, we just never got another chapter. Yep. But that being said, that is the end of our film. I think we can get into our final ratings and review, or final review and a rating on a scale from 1 to 10. And, well, Dustin, you know the rules. Guests always go first, so lay it on us. I, you know, it's an interesting movie. I think it had a lot to say about its time period. Uh, so it's very much a time capsule for its its era, and it has some really cool creature effects in it. It's got some really great cast and cult stars and random faces of the uh, underground low-budget horror world. Um, for it being one of the earlier J.R. Bookwalter slash Tempe co-productions with Full Moon, I think it's honestly one of the better ones i think it's one of the the stronger ones but it it does have um its own shortcomings like many movies do for for me i would give it like a seven out of ten nice i'd have to agree with a lot of what you said it is a product of its era of the late 90s early 2000s you know it's just it's it's so rooted so firmly rooted in the technology of its time yeah. it, it can't help but be dated a little bit can, yeah it can be a blessing and a hindrance all at the same time but it's a neat little time capsule uh, i agree that it's got some great creature effects albeit just not enough of them uh the little i keep calling it beetle bailey because that's just the nickname i gave it in my head but the mm. little beetle bailey character is is awesome uh, i want one for my shelf it's just so creepy looking okay. and ineffective. The the, uh, the stop motion and the puppeteering with it is great. When Manifesto finally is, you know, there in the flesh, so so to speak, uh, it is also very good. The the effects are, are stand out. I mean, the the makeup effects are great. Some of the digital effects, again, a product of the times, doing that that virtual reality matrix yep. slash lawnmower man thing it, it dates it and it does hurt it a little bit and you know again it's it's got a great cast it's, it's a virtual who's who of full moon and tempe entertainment and it's yeah. great from everybody behind the scenes between danny draven and jr bookwalter to uh james black you know uh coming back after doing a couple of the early uh tempe entertainment movies you know and ariana albright uh you know it's this it's it's very it's shot very well you know it has a very mtv kind of look to it yes. but it, it does have its bit of the like i said with the technology wise it has some shortcomings the ending really hurts for me it, it's yeah. just it's just so anticlimactic it's you won't very often hear me say that 
a movie needs to be 10 or 15 minutes longer. I'm usually of the opinion that a movie can always have 10 or 15 minutes cut out of it. This movie felt like it just like there was a final showdown between manifesto and does that we didn't see. And that person takes a couple of points off for me. I, I still like it. It's still a special movie to me on the full moon list of the Jarrow book, Walter stuff. Um, but I give it a six and a half out of 10. Uh-huh. It's still, you know, it's one worth owning. It's one worth revisiting, but I now understand why I hadn't watched it again in probably 10 years. And it'll probably be another five to 10 years for I watch it again, but I'll keep my copy and I'll watch it again. Eventually I was actually going to do uh, the version for, for our show. I was going to watch the version that uh, William Shatner hosted for full moon. I was going to do that, but then I actually looked that it's actually shorter it has a shorter running time than the than the actual like horror vision movie does. That's so, with know. with all the Shatner hosted segments included. Yeah, I think it came up like four minutes shorter. At least that was the running time. I was when I was looking at the streaming site, it, it read as an hour and eight minutes. I read it. I will be honest. I have not watched all of the William Shatner's Full Moon Fright Night presentations. I've I've seen and watched the three that were released to disc, which were, I think, like Vampire Journals, Hideous, and something else that escapes me. I don't remember what, but... Um, well, that they, was how, that's how I originally watched Head of the Family. That, that may have been the other one. I can't remember, but they... Getting those movies on sci-fi did raise a lot of awareness of Full Moon 4 for the company on you know being on sci-fi but at the same time like that show was designed to kind of make fun of the movies as well so in a way i didn't overly enjoy watching it at the same time uh but they may have been edited for television as well keep in mind that you know like sci-fi channel in the in the you know early 2000s was um you know, you can't you can't play certain things on TV like that, or certain you know certain content or language and things like that might have been clipped. I don't know if the streaming versions are edited versions, but I feel like some of the films themselves had to be moderately edited for broadcast television. I imagine for um, Sci-Fi Channel that <clears throat> that they had to be edited for yeah. content a little bit, I'll, so that might have been I'll, it. I'll say this, though. I know that some of their streaming, um, the content that's there, a lot of it isn't the correct lengths because I don't know if it's a, a yes, it's something to do with the file sizes and the compression, yada, yada, yada. Again, I'm not a techie, but there are some movies that I know are blatantly in a 70 plus minute range of runtime, like a horror vision. Um, I was going to watch one with a friend on there recently called Necropolis, one of the Tim Kincaid films from the 80s. And it's a 76-minute movie. The version on the website was like 100. So there was there's some kind of frame rate issue where some of them, I think, are uploaded kind of weird and they either run way too short or run way too long. Because they're not all of them the original uh, presentation. That might be it. 
I I just I, I tried watching a couple of the the full moon fright nights and again you know I don't mind uh, a horror host that pokes a little fun at the movie you know because Elvira does it uh, Joe Bob does it but I just guess yeah. just didn't quite appreciate the way that uh, William Shatner did them I just felt like he was being way way too condescending. Yeah, so, like I said, I just didn't like the. I mean, you know, and it's that could be fine. Shatner's a Shatner's a funny guy, and Shatner is most yeah. definitely a, a a friend of Full Moon. You know, he ended up being the director of one of these Tempe co-production things that Full that Moon was, did. That was Groom Lake, wasn't it? Yes, which is uh, it's one of the dogs of Full Moon, as far as I'm concerned. It's a it's not a good movie. And if you were to speak to some of the people involved, I think they would back up the fact that it was just not a fun shoot. It's just the whole thing was it's like one of those movies that, quote unquote, had to get made and they forced it and made it. And it was just not a fun film shoot. And the final product is just kind of a. It's a dud. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, but it starred and was directed by Shatner. So. Yeah, and you know, and I, I, I didn't mean uh, my previous statement is a, a slight to Shatner because I know he was, you know, he's reading a script, you know, yep. oh, when, yeah. when he's doing that. I just, I felt like uh, th- that the movies just weren't sh- quite shown their proper respect in, in that kind of, in that kind of forum, if that makes Not sense. Not at all. Totally. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense to me. And I guess it's okay in a way because it, it's, it came from Full Moon, you know, they produced that TV show. So when they were making fun of their own product, it was coming straight from the horse's mouth, you know, but at the same time, like, I don't know, I, you know, people can say whatever they want about the company or the, the man behind the, the label, but I like it. <laughs> Even some of the dogs of full moon, like I'll still, I'll still watch them and appreciate you know, them. I mean, me, me too, moon. because like this is probably so far uh, the lowest rating that I've come in with uh, for a whole uh, for a full moon film thus far on the show, and yeah. I still like it. You know, I still own it. I would never get rid of it, especially not my autograph copy. You know, but uh, it you know it's even some of the worst full moon movies I still love. Not you, Transfer Six. I'm still looking. <laughs> I'm still giving you that fucking side eye, Transfer Six. Okay. I'll tell you what, though, you know, you have this Lunar Edition DVD, and I implore anyone that if you ever see any of these Lunar Edition DVDs like the Horror Vision one, there were only five of these, I believe, five, maybe six films released to Lunar Edition DVD ever. That was a DVD uh, subdivision that was, I believe, headed by Devin Hamilton. Um, They packed with features they're worth every penny and they're hard to get they're really out of print so like i've talked to people that you know because i'm a big witch house fan and witch house uh two was an early lunar edition and people like oh i got witch house i got it off the website i'm like well you don't have the good one (laughs) you know you don't have the good one because the the lunar edition is packed this revision uh, noangels.com, Vengeance of the Dead, and one or two others that are escaping me. Was, the Hell, Vault. Asylum? was Hell Asylum on that list of Lunar Edition DVDs? It was not. Okay. The, the I'm, I'm trying to remember which version I have. I just remember I got was, a special edition that was in a red case. 
Yeah. The the uh, yeah, it was horror vision. Oh, you know what? Horror vision. Witch House Two: Blood Coven. The Vault, which was directed by James Black. Um, Noangels.com, which was directed by Charles Band under his Robert Talbot pseudonym. And Voodoo Academy, directed by David Dakota. Those I'm trying to remember which Disney. version it was, the which one that I had for the, the, the Hell Asylum. It's on the other side of the house, which I can't get to right now. So Hell uh, Asylum that, was released as a regular uh it came out i believe on a tempe co-release dvd which is stacked with features but it's not a lunar edition uh that might that be the version, version yeah. if you have that though too honestly there were some dvds like that that were tempe co-releases like witch house three uh that one uh where they have a lot of Features that are only exclusive to those Tempe co-release. Because of the subsequent releases, none of those features have surfaced because they are owned by J.R. Bookwalter, not Charles Band, because he produced them. Ah, that's why we don't see them on any of the future rele- the releases they had. Now nah, that makes sense. Exactly. So yeah, if you get if you could if you get any of those, yeah, they're definitely like the Hell Asylum and the Witch House three, those were Tempe co-releases on DVD, packed with features, similarly to the lunar editions, and they're worth every penny. Um, some of the other ones from that era, like the uh, Dead and Rotting with Debbie Rashawn and Trent Haga, mm-hmm. uh, Killjoy 2, Deliverance from Evil, a lot of those were actually released on double feature DVDs, even with uh, Transfer 6. Uh, and the... Thief Undercover, which was one of the seduction cinema movies. A lot of those were actually originally released on double feature DVDs. Deathbed was also a double feature DVD where they yeah, had you know, the new film and then a classic film to, to pair with it. Uh, and once again, Transfer 6. Man, I don't want to get off on another tangent, but... At least oh. if you were one of those people that got the original Trancer 6 double feature, you got the classic original as a bonus. <laughs> so, Yeah, that, that was worth it, I guess. That was yeah. worth it. Yeah. You know, I, I think if somebody handed me a Trancer 6 DVD, I'd probably be like, you know, I have plenty of coasters. I don't need another one. Sadly, if you had that release, it's like, you know, you watch that Trancers 1 and you're like, this is what you want. And then you watch part 6 and it's like, eh, this is what you get. <laughs> so this is what you want very true sir very true so yeah but yeah if anyone can get their hands on these older editions though they like i said i can't i can't be a cheerleader enough for them because they're worth every penny and, well, the, and the features like, you can't just get it with extras that you you, yeah. you know what i mean especially i know i just remember that that hell asylum had a very cool uh audio commentary track with all the girls on it that was great and a lot of behind the scenes stuff yeah yeah hell asylum was one of those other tempe co-releases and that that dvd is stacked with stuff too but anyone that goes out looking for these you can't buy them from the from the full moon direct website so you can't expect to get those from there you'd have to go hunting i believe some of them like you might still be able to get through book walters uh company whatever 
out selling sales outlet he has online now. Make disc or whatever he sells through now. Oh, uh, make flicks. Yeah. Make flicks. Yeah. I think you can maybe get one or two of those uh, full moon titles like that on there. But nice. I have to look that up because I, I know I don't have Witch House 2 anymore. And I, I, I kind of want to see it now. <laughs> yeah. The best Witch House. <laughs> only only the second best uh, full moon sequel. Because we, <laughs> we're, we're of the same opinion here uh, uh, on the on the show, Dustin and I. For those that are listening, still, <laughs> we we both are of the opinion that Subspecies Two is the best full moon sequel ever made. But for so, for yeah, me, Subspecies it, is a powerful yeah, so, viewing experience. And like v- ranking a very close second for me though is Transfers Three, which is my favorite of the series. So you, you get to see- Three is the superior Transfers film. You are correct. <laughs> yeah. so- you, you, get, you want to get me excited? You get one of these drive-ins to host a full moon evening and have Subspecies Two and Transfers Three on a double bill. That would make me giddy as a schoolboy. Oh yeah, those those would be those would be very. Uh, be an experience to witness those on a big screen so well they're like some of the most like theatrical you know he's yeah. uh, of the later full moon era you know and, uh, and they were made by some of like you know the you know there's been a lot of directors that have come and gone through full moon those are made by two of the best filmmakers that have worked in full moon with ted nicolau and c courtney Joyner. Yeah, C. Courtney Joyner directed one of my my other favorites is Lurking Fear, which uh, is very underrated. But yeah, we'll get into into Lurking Fear probably on a a future show. I don't know when we'll do that, but that's definitely on my short list. Mm. Well, once again, Dustin, I want to thank you for coming on the show show and just uh, waxing philosophical about full moon for an hour or two with me i appreciate it it's nice to know that there's still still people out there like us uh, as, as well as the show seems to be doing with all the downloads we've been getting it's nice to see there's still a lot of love for full moon out there hopefully it never dies yep it will never die well folks you have been listening to cinema g generations howling at the full moon i am your host cameron scott and this has been my co-host dustin hubbard and we have just reviewed the 2001 Horror Vision. Fucking pieces. Hang on, guys. My cam is freaking out. I'm still burning that CD. There we go. It was on. I don't believe it. Clear as day, in the cafeteria, she must have been 19. Don't bullshit me, Dad. On a kid's show? I have a quick time of it somewhere. It's filth. Plain and simple. I, I want to make this up. That's twisted. It's almost ready for you to deliver to your Diz customers. Hey, don't badmouth the source of our income. Those pervs keep us in SpaghettiOs while the world at large learns to appreciate our true talent. But let's face it, you take really great nude pictures. I just wish you'd pose from yourself. Who's that? <laughs> No one. That's got a sting. Hi, Dazzy. We were talking about you getting naked. Mm. Ah. 
Yeah, well, like my sweet granny used to say, wish in one hand, shit in the other, and see which one fills up first.